Hey, welcome to the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep in the worlds of comics and graphic novels. My name is Paul. I'm an English teacher and your host for this podcast. Um, today, we are going to talk about Shang-Chi, not the movie, but the comics recently um, written by Jean Luen Yang and drawn by DK Run and Philip Tan. There's a 2020 five-issue miniseries. And we are now three, almost four issues into an ongoing run of the character who is certainly making a splash because, of course, of the MCU movie. So we'll dig into these comics. We'll talk about what they mean, what they're doing, um, what they, what their significance is to me as an Asian American reader. Um, and uh, yeah, and we'll touch on the movie a little bit as well, even though I haven't seen it. So no spoilers. <laughs> Um, also, after we talk about Shang-Chi, we're going to um, do a polybag segment where I'll talk about some of the books that I've been reading lately, the comics and graphic novels that have been catching my eye and some of my thoughts on those. And then finally, we're going to embark on our first long read where we will um, spend multiple weeks with a, um, a, uh, a classic. And this, the, the voters have chosen um, a Twitter poll got us to Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra, Vertigo series. So we'll touch on that and and introduce a reading schedule for the coming uh, weeks. And then I'll talk a little bit about this this podcast and where it's going, um, as well as the substack that I've just launched for the comic syllabus. So thanks for hanging out and, and let's take you. podcast listeners we're the hosts of the dc3 cast i'm zach i'm vince and i'm brian each week we discuss most of the new releases from dc comics focusing mainly on rebirth wildstorm and young animal we also look at the news of the week discuss the film and television adaptations of dc material and dig into industry rumors we've also had a number of dc creators on our show like scott snyder jim lee christopher priest steve orlando and joshua williamson so if you like borat jokes my wife bad to end the dio impressions this is bad what the f- and an in-depth look at dc each week join us every wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice come get jurgens with us uh, I actually find Brian's uh, Dan DiDio impressions to be quite quite funny. <laughs> Shang-Chi. So where, where are we at and where have we been? Um, not with Shang-Chi, actually, just with the Comic Syllabus podcast. Let me step back a little bit. Um, we are on an every other week schedule now at multiversitycomics.com. Um, which is where this podcast lives. And um, you're going to find other great podcasts that cover DC, Marvel, um, Star Wars, uh, you know, um, manga, all kinds of great geek culture stuff uh, at multiversitycomics.com. What I like most about that site is that um, it's just such a, a an inviting and welcoming place for contributors from very different places. Um not only throughout the world, um, but also in terms of our backgrounds. And we bring as readers uh, who we are um, into our reviews, our commentaries, our interviews. And so it's just um, a hospitable place. And I hope you find perspectives that both um, align with yours and uh, and maybe broaden yours as well there at Multiversity. Um, it's fitting with the name, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have been, uh, man, 
through it. It's been it's been a rough beginning of the school year um, because we're coming back from the um, the distance learning that we were um, you know we we're kind of holed up in uh, for the past year and a half or so, and teaching has been uh, the the usual uh, really challenging grind. Um, and yet so, so gratifying. So, so it feels so good to be back in the classroom with students and just seeing their um, anxieties, but then to see those sort of dissolve as we practice mindfulness, as we read poetry, as we kind of reconnect with routines, as they find our classroom and our school to be a place that is safe and that is um, that that, you know, um, really supporting them in moving forward through the crises and challenges of this past year. Um, it's just been so good to be back in school with kids. And I'm having a ball uh, teaching uh, English and uh, and working with teachers. So anyway, that has had me super, super consumed. I am exhausted. Um, my, <laughs> my phone is telling me that I'm walking three or four times the number of steps that I did when we were isolated at home and stuff. So definitely taking a toll on my body as well as on my reading schedule. And um, one of the shifts that I've had to make is that the podcast will um, continue, but it will continue on an every other week basis until the um, the number of um, supporters that are subscribed to uh, the new comic syllabus Substack, which you can find a link in the show notes. Uh, reaches a, a certain level. I'm just looking for 10 supporters who can help me to offset the financial costs of this podcast. Obviously, those resources will not make time magically appear. I do expect the year to level off and to become more um, stable and for it to be more possible for me to produce a high-quality podcast on a regular uh, routine schedule. Um, but those finances do make it possible or at least more justifiable in my own conscience <laughs> to devote the time and resources that I do to the comic syllabus. And so your support means a ton. And I just would love if you would check out the comic syllabus uh, Substack. And uh, they're subscribers for $5 a month or a uh, much reduced annual rate can um, get access to uh, soon, I hope. Every week, we'll, I'll do an episode of Comic Syllabus, uh, maybe two a week, actually, to cover comics in the classroom, to talk about, um, uh, you know, YA comics and middle grade comic books and graphic novels, um, as well as the sort of, you know, variety of graphic novels and superhero and independent comics that I try to talk about, um, as well as other comics media, um, and just looking at it all through um, academic perspectives or through um, the lenses of the classroom, thinking about youth and futures, thinking about culture and civics. Um, and increasingly, I'm thinking about our, our climate futures um, and the, the sustainability that it's going to require of us, um, radical shifts in our life um, to face the cataclysm that we are very, that is very real before us. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what the podcast is about. Um, and, you know, there is something just um, really fun for me about doing this podcast, even though uh, I, I'm often, you know, strained in my time and, and my energy, um, because I, I find myself always thinking about 
what is you know looming large in popular culture and then thinking about how that relates to um, our lives as as human you know part of the human family um, and within our human ecology and so when a film like shang chi is you know filling up my twitter feed and making a lot of noise um, i'm aware and 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 not only sort of processing my responses to it but also trying to process and understand the world's reaction to it there's a timing about this film it's the first phase four in theater uh, movie of course black widow came out and it was a straight to disney plus uh and in theaters uh, i certainly enjoyed the disney plus premiere access um and being able to watch from my own living room um and i'm still we're still kind of avoiding theaters uh, you know with with the sort of the vulnerability of some members of my family and with how much exposure we're having at schools we just want to minimize the risk so things like eating in uh, in indoors at restaurants and going to movie theaters for now are our family's decision to 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 hold back from those things um probably the biggest bummer out of <laughs> all that decision making is to for me to miss the the debut of shang chi because as a chinese american the um you know the idea of a a, a asian led um you know asian fronted um, MCU movie is is super exciting and you know from the early returns it looks like it's a good one too it looks like it's you know got that Rotten Tomatoes score got that MCU charm it's got that you know um, that magic it's still there and so this should have been and, and, and maybe it still will be a kind of Black Panther moment for us, you know, as Asian Americans, as Chinese Americans. Um, but it's just dampened by, I can't be there in the theater. I was teaching and one of my students had a, you know, like a Avengers shirt on and I asked her uh, if she was truly, you know, like an MCU fan. And she was like, oh yeah, we're going to Shang-Chi tonight. And I was like, oh, I'm so envious, you know, you could, don't, please don't spoil it for me in class tomorrow. Um, so I'm excited for them. I'm excited they get to go, and 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 I'm excited because you know these most of my students are are, are Latinx, and they will be going to watch an Asian, you know, fronted Asian-led um, superhero movie. I mean that just blows my mind, you know. Um, and and I had it's hard for me to to really um, express just how unthinkable that is. You know, that for me as a kid, my comics nerd culture just never showed up good on movies. And then so for these movies to be not only good, but to be the huge tentpoles, to be the, you know, really the, sadly, you know, the all that's left is in, in movie theaters, keeping it going is these huge franchises. And, and the MCU now is the, the mega franchise of franchises. And then to have, um, again, the unthinkable notion that we should have a, um, a superhero movie led by an Asian American, uh, you know, who is put on the screen not as a, a sidekick um, and not as a one-dimensional kind of object of exotic um, 
entertainment. But, you know, to have characters who, by all reports and from everything I imagine about the show, everything, uh, sorry, the movie, every, everything that I've heard Destin, Daniel Cretton in interviews talk about is a, is just a, a multidimensional set of characters. I mean, um, Simu Lu, who is the star and who is uh, playing Shang-Chi, I've, I've enjoyed him on Kim's Convenience for, you know, every year that that show has been there on, on Netflix for me to enjoy, along with the whole cast. If you haven't watched, if you haven't watched Kim's Convenience, it's a really fun sitcom to, um, to partake in. Um, and um, Jung, his, the, the character that he plays, is actually Korean-Canadian. Um, but I think I read early on that uh, Simu Lu was, in fact, Chinese-Canadian. And, um, and so when he started to sort of just drop his, his little, little uh, suggestions into the Twitter sphere, hey, Marvel, <laughs> you know, I'd be interested. I'd be game. Um, I, I actually caught wind of that pretty early. And so watching the whole kind of casting thing work out for Simu Lu has been a little bit of, you know, you know, that's one of ours and, 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 and really kind of making it. So that's been exciting. Uh, and then to hear the rave reviews for Tony Leung. I mean, wow, like that he is in this movie, first of all. Um, because if you're a cinephile of any sort, you you know, like Wong Kar Wai's movies, sorry. Or if you've seen uh, any, you know, all the major Hong Kong cinema that, that Tony Leung has been, um, it's just a stalwart in you know, uh, he's just never been a, a Hollywood star. And then to, to hear about the depth that he brings to this character, Wen Wu, who is Shang-Chi's father in the movie. And, you know, and, and that's just such an intentional move that the sort of all um, or, or, or heavily represented uh, a group of you know Asian American director, right, screenwriter, um, uh, cast, and so on, sort of in front of the camera and behind the camera, have have really thought through, right? How do we deal with the legacy of this character who, when um, he was created in the you know in the in the 70s, in the midst of the sort of explosion of interest in martial arts movies because of the show Kung Fu and because of of Bruce Lee's movies, um, you know, they, they patched t- together this Shang-Chi character. They had the license for the Fu Manchu, you know, horrible stereotype uh, from the sort of pulp uh, pulp days. And, and they made Shang-Chi the son of Fu Manchu. And, you know, I've read a lot of those early Shang-Chi uh, comics. And even though they're they are cringeworthy in a lot of ways. You can tell that there is, for that era, an effort to, I don't know, to sort of like re- re- revision the, um, you know, the, the, the really awful history. Uh, of course, they did it by creating new awful history. <laughs> but but they were they were definitely trying to move the character away from or in some sense restore and redeem, you know, a character of dignity in response to the great indignity of a character like Fu Manchu. So Fu Manchu was the father and um, Shang-Chi was the son who was going to to do better, who was going to make better, who was going to be the um, martial arts master who, you know, you could respect and you could 
fear and, and so on. And um, I think that trying to wash the stink of yellow peril um, panic off with some kind of, you know, phony baloney reverence for martial arts, um, it, it, it kind of hangs as a stink or as a pallor around all those early Shang-Chi books. Nonetheless, they were hugely popular. And, you know, I had to say that I didn't read the character. In fact, I, I mean, I, I, I watched a ton of martial arts movies uh, when I was growing up. I watched a ton of um, uh, Jackie Chan and Jet Li and, uh, you know, sort of you name it um, as a little kid with my family. And I would watch those movies and, and then I would perform my own martial arts, you know, moves against imagined antagonists all through all over my house, you know, kicking over chairs <laughs> and vases and driving my, my parents crazy. Um, but as a kid, I also have such a distinct memory of walking to school with um, a couple of neighbors that my parents had, you know, my mom had asked their parents to have me walk to school with them. And, and they would just, they would just beat me up the whole way to school, just trip me, kick me, push me. And they would, you know, taunt me and, and basically say, where's your Kung Fu? You know, where's your karate? And, um, and so there's for me, and I think for a lot of Asian American kids, this ambivalence about this, about the, um, I guess the specter of this is who you're supposed to be, right? Um, <laughs> you know, there's something obviously very real to our culture about martial arts, but, you know, like we're not born with that. <laughs> it's not like, it's not just like everywhere. It's just part of the, uh, yeah, it's part of the um, the tunnel of stereotype that you have to walk through in America and it closes around you and you wonder if there is anything that you can be outside of it and so at a certain point and in certain degrees you actually run from it which is how i felt i you know i i didn't want to be associated with martial arts i didn't want to be associated with chinese movies i didn't want to be associated with with manhua actually with with you know Chinese uh, or Asian comics because um, always paraded before me was the dance of dreams of, of whiteness and 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 I knew my skin pinned me to um, a, a very narrow set of you know this is who you can be uh, ideas and those were those ideas and so in some ways I want to run as far from those as I can um, so I wouldn't go to a comic shop and honestly, I, you know, I would see something like a uh, blood syndicate from milestone and there was an Asian person in there, but this was, you know, you know, this incredible diverse team cast and, and that would catch my eye. But, you know, over there would be some sort of exploitative, um, <laughs> Kung Fu rag. And I just wanted to get as far away from it as I could. Um, and so in 
for people, I think, who are generationally and maybe in terms of relationship to culture in a similar place for me, and I've heard this in interviews with um, with actually many, the screenwriter, the, uh, the director, um, Simu Liu himself, and so on, to be approached with the chance to contribute to this vast and, you know, <laughs> and uh, really successful Marvel, Marvel Universe. Uh, and to be given Shang-Chi is... <laughs> You know, none of them, none of them read those comics because we don't read those, we don't read those comics. They they weren't really around in our childhood uh, because they you know, and and, and in some ways I, I think at least for me and maybe for some of them they they just why would you read a stereotype of yourself? Why would you want to be pegged that way? Um, but it becomes a chance for uh, revision for a deeper revision than even the, the original idea concept of the character as the, you know, son of Fu Manchu who departs from his father's evil ways. And that brings us to Jean Luan Yang and um, DK Run and the current Shang-Chi series, 20 minutes later. <laughs> Thank you for rolling with me through this, uh, this long diatribe. So when I, when, um, Yang was announced as the writer of first a miniseries uh, for Shang-Chi and then, um, you know, eventually uh, uh, an ongoing, which is going on now. I think it's an ongoing. Um, we're, I think, fourth, the, the fourth issue of the current 2021 Shang-Chi series um, where, you know, in the first issue it was sort of Shang-Chi versus Spider-Man and then it was Shang-Chi versus Captain America and it's... It's kind of expanding out to the whole Marvel universe. I believe I believe issue four is going to be Shang Chi takes on the Fantastic Four, and then and then finally takes on uh, in issue five Iron Man. Um, but basically, this series is um, uh, comes on the heels of the five issue miniseries. And you know, when I heard that the five issue miniseries was coming, I I, I just I, I admit that there was half excitement. Probably the thing that made me most excited of all was that Jin Luen Yang was writing it. Um, I knew the movie was coming. I didn't know how the movie would be received. Um, I, and I guess I got what... Um, recently I was listening to the Nerds of Color podcast. They were talking about um, this idea of rep sweats. It was just so spot on. It was the the feeling you have when you're anxious because something is so fraught, freighted with the weight of representation. It it has to be good. It's our one shot. You know, <laughs> like don't screw this up and you're sweating it because you, you want the, them to get the representation right. You're anxious about the discourse that is inevitably coming, the bajillion articles, the, you know, what's it going to be like when somebody asks you, oh, hey, hey, you, uh, you know, innocently as if there aren't, isn't a particular reason, you know, like, what do you think of Shang-Chi, you know, um, the rep sweats, you know, and, and, and you're just worried, like, is this going to fall flat? Is everybody going to point to this and say, yeah, you can't have an Asian lead uh, and an Asian um, driven story. It just doesn't sell, you know, Hollywood just, uh, it's not marketable, you know, and and uh, I guess um, when the the comic was coming out, of course, the movie had already been slated and so on. And so I could see all the tie-in possibility. And, 
And but what interested me the most was that Jin Yang felt like responsible hands to continue to do what needed to be done to um, in a way to sort of like restore, redeem or revision the character. Um, Because I think one of the things that is the most bold and dynamic about a lot of Yang's work is, you know, he relies on a good deal of of kind of wit and irony, um, which allows a certain distance. But he always has ever, you know, as early as American born Chinese, first his first big graphic novel that made a splash. He's, he's leaned in to the stereotype. Um, if you've read American born Chinese, if, if you haven't, first of all, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you haven't, I really encourage you, whether you are Asian identifying or not to, to, to read it. Um, but you know, he has, he has the stereotype come to life in that book. And so rather than sort of, um, hiding from the, the haunting images of what we know outsiders see us or might see us as, you know, after how many, um, breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, and so on, he, he, he really just, again, steered right into them, made them a part of the story, forced a confrontation, and then could imagine or, or, or had to imagine, had to work his way through something different, you know, to, to, to out the other side, to an embrace of identity that um, doesn't just mimic the colonizer, doesn't shy from the stereotype or the, uh, or the, you know, the hurtful narrative. And so I, I think that gave me a lot of confidence because um, he's done it again and again. Um, Yang has done that with The Shadow Hero, um, which is a fascinating book as well. Again, I highly recommend it. Um, with the complexities of the Boxer Rebellion within Boxers and Saints. And even in, in his recent Dragon Hoops, um, as well as in Superman Smashes the Clan, you know, it's just in so many works, I think, rather the way that Yang has touched on, uh, you know, the, the aspects of a story or a property or, uh, or a reality that seem untouchable or third rail is to really grab hold of them and to say that's where the energy of the story is. And so um, with artist D.K. Ron, um, who I, I did not know prior to this series and now fully love, I started searching months ago for D.K. Ron original art to somehow find some and grace my walls um, would be amazing. Um, but um, and, and then also with some by Philip Tan, some of the flashback scenes in the miniseries, um, Yang and, and Ron began to retell Shang-Chi's story and who he was as a character. And of course, it was filled with the kind of, you know, the lightheartedness, the sort of fun flirtation romance, the um, the jokes about, you know, um, his ability to deliver buns, you know, uh, working at a bakery, you know, things like that, like, like things about the, the community, certainly that he's in. Um, and then, of course, there becomes the banter-centric uh, um, relationships he has with his siblings. Um, but the, I think the real, um, you know, the real turn that I was looking for 
is when Yang and 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 Ron depict a Shang-Chi who belongs to who who inherits this complicated legacy not just um not just a a sort of a legacy of evil that he must resist but a complicated legacy and my understanding of the film is that it's that same way that you have a heavyweight like Tony Leung because um there's a version of the Asian American story and it's one that um even you know our our celebrated authors like Amy Tan or like Maxine Hong Kingston have gotten some critique from within the community for there's a there's a you know there's a version of our story where the you know the Asian American story is one of of feeling ashamed and wanting to distance ourselves from our forebears and our cultural inheritance and the ways of living that are you know for us in in some kind of you know metaphorical past um and then to embrace americanism or to embrace and assimilate as the model minority and so part of that which i i think is more of a a white and western gaze is you know it requires it involves this narrative where essentially our our forebears our families our, our ancestors are um soiled rotten with with nefarious evil and we are complicated and confused beings who are torn between one world and the other um shangchi in um in jin wen yang's hands and in dk ron's hands is not complicated in that way um the legacy of his you know his father his his parentage and the organization that he runs which instead of the 10 rings of the movie is the uh, five something <laughs> five weapons i think the five weapons society um is complicated indeed um because they are you know criminally associated still so the creators have have retained that sort of you know that bit of the fu manchu idea from the original shangchi but what they've changed is whether or not that legacy um is fixed in some kind of you know painted scroll <laughs> because it is a it is an inevitable uh uh you know nature and essence of who these people are and it's not shangchi's you know american side that is there to liberate him um in fact what the legacy in, includes is space possibility to do good as a, an an organization of cohesion and of of provision and so on for for people you know um whether it be in the chinatowns the the triads who um were built off of neighborhood associations that were about mutual support um even if they were to veer into criminal directions um or you know or they have the possibility of uh, becoming obsessed with with power 
and and really not being sustainable for for everyday people. Uh, those stakes and those ethical conflicts, um, you know, those are the multi-dimensional realities of Chinese communities, Chinese diaspora communities, and really of every community, of any community. And when you don't slice them into thin caricatures, that's what you'll find. And so what I've really enjoyed about uh, essentially what I think um, Yang and Jin Yang and uh, DK Ron are doing in the first five issue miniseries and now the ongoing series is they've leaned in and Shang-Chi in a way is uh, even though we can see the sort of innocence of his intentions is is a villain <laughs> you know it's that's got, got Spider-Man on his back he's got Captain America on his back he's got you know because the the cleansing process by which a character needed to be laundered from out of the you know the stink of racism into a kind of pure um honorable you know martial arts wielding <laughs> hero um is not you know it, it, it's it's just the flip side of the reductionism of the uh the the Fu Manchu Yellow Peril character, and and I think what I hunger for instead is see my family and our legacies in in their complexity, and then see us in complexity as well. And I think um, what's interesting to me about this current run of of, of Shang Chi is that he's. Um, you know, he's not always, you know, I think he's, you could tell he's guided by good intentions, but it's not always certain that, you know, the superheroes confronting him are totally wrong so much as they just don't know the context. They just don't understand the context. And that's more like what the experience is like for, for us as Asian Americans, um, not pure evil and not um, pure good, but complicated. Um, and so I, I guess I'm, I'm just loving the comic series. Um, and although it's going so slow, <laughs> monthly comics are so slow. And, I, and, and, and really a month could not go faster because I cannot wait till my Disney Plus uh, even if I have to pay some Premier Access thing, <laughs> allows me to watch this this movie that I've been waiting my whole lifetime for. Um, but in the meantime, I will have to settle for, and I hope that you have the chance to partake and enjoy um, Shang-Chi, um, written by Jin Yang and art by DK Ron um, from Marvel Comics. All right, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back, and I'll talk about some comics I've been reading lately. Thanks. of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. 
Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, and you're back with us. Um, the polybag segment of our podcast is when I talk about new comics that I bagged <laughs> because I'm Paul and it's polybags. <laughs> okay, <laughs> in case you didn't understand the reference. All right, so um, yeah, I'm excited about this list of books, not because they were all surefire winners for me, but just because I'm back to a range of stuff. And, you know, actually all summer long, I was trying the experiment of doing video episodes and, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I do think a visual medium like comics deserves some visuals, but man, it was a lot of labor to put together those slides. And I, you don't need to see my face. That's, that's definitely something that in the future I would take out. But, uh, I think, uh, I think actually just being able to talk about a list of books and not necessarily trying to fit into a narrow um, band, um, but to read widely, like I've always said that this podcast is about, is is fun. So, all right, here we go. Here's the list. Um, things that I've read recently. Um, the first is a book called Jia and the Nian Monster. Um, it's by Mike Richardson, written by Mike Richardson with art by Megan Huang from Dark Horse. And this book, um, I think it's, you know, I haven't seen a lot of chatter about it. It's flown under their, a lot of radars. It came out in, in March, actually. Nope, it came out recently. I believe it came out recently. I think I just got it recently, though. Anyway, I'm not sure. Whatever it came out. Um, Jia and the Nian Monster is kind of a retelling of Chinese um, mythology, uh, fantasy, uh, fable. And um, Mike Richardson, who has been around Dark Horse forever and wrote 47 Ronin and all kinds of things, um, is is sort of reshaping or, or sort of crafting this story for comics medium. Um, and so this is a, a book very readable for young young readers. It's only 80 pages long. Um, but I think the, you know, really the headline here is the art of Megan Huang. Uh, I've talked about Megan Huang's art because um, they're responsible for Rangers of the Divide, um, top to bottom, writing, drawing, lettering, I think even, um, certainly coloring. Um, and Huang's art style is just beautiful. You know, it's got, um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's great with color. It's great with character. It looks like, you know, um, well-practiced animation, um, but that really should come out of the pen of a whole studio of artists. Um, and so for Huang to be responsible solely for uh, the whole thing, top to bottom, soup to nuts, is 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 incredible. Um, and I think the most um, kind of like standout aspect of the art to me is just the use of lighting uh, and the way that light and and dark, uh, the way that shadow um, and reflection and so on are operating remind me a lot of the best of animation that we have these days, and then we get it in comics. And it's pretty great. Um, and the comic storytelling is super solid. So, you know, it wasn't too much that was a, a like a, a wow about this book. It was a stories that I'm somewhat familiar with, right? Chinese legend where um, 
of explaining the the New Year sort of dragon and what it, why why there's a dragon in Chinese New Year and stuff like that. Um, if you liked Over the Moon, the Netflix Over the Moon, is that was it called, um, the Netflix show, you, you know you'll like this. Um, it may be a good good one to hand to a, a young reader um, in your life. Um, and uh, but but yeah, I just I I just really like seeing Megan Huang's art. I'm so excited to see what else um, Megan Huang is has in store for the future. I still haven't I've finished. I I've certainly have all four issues of Range of the Divide. Still haven't finished reading that. But, um, you know, between that and this, between that sort of, you know, fantasy, futuristic, um, dragon creatures type of story, and then this one, which is uh, th- another kind of dragons, <laughs> and, uh, and more of a, like a Chinese, um, you know, a traditional kind of uh, fable, legend kind of story, um, Huang is really showing a range as well. So, um, good book, good book, 80 pages, uh, quick read, and... Um, and maybe maybe a, a good quick read for yourself and then a gift to pass on or to treasure because, um, again, I think the art is pretty great. Um, next up, I've, I, I've recently caught up with the first two issues of Amazing Fantasy from Marvel. Um, and Amazing Fantasy, of course, that classic title from which uh, Spider-Man debuted, you know, way, way back. Um, but... Kari Andrews, who is the the artist uh, and who did the Iron Fist Living Weapon series, and uh, I think it was called Renato Jones One Percent or something like that, an image, and done a bunch of other stuff, um, is doing this very interesting and different Marvel story. It is really being true to the, the notion of fantasy and kind of what the as as I as I really had a hard time piecing together, but eventually figured out in issue one, um, you have the World War II version of Captain America. You have the Cold War version of Black Widow, Natasha. And you have, I think, a modern version or maybe a 90s or something, a later version of uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. They all wind up um, on a you know somehow transported or dying or something and and make and getting passage to what what is seems like you know some kind of fantasy world uh, or an island or something and they are sort of encountering different segments of this fantasy world but you know they're going to come together so the first two issues of that has have come out um cardi andrews's art is always it's really interesting it looks like a low res reproduction of 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 like uh, thick pen work, and yet it totally works, and it's really pretty gorgeous. It's just not what I usually think of, you know. I think gro- trained on nineties, um, uh, you know, thin, thin, and really fine lined Jim Lee stuff, which again I, I don't like. Like that's not actually my style. Um, it's it, but it, but it, it, it's always a shock to the eyes to see something. I mean, Kari Andrews looks like, um, like old comic strip comics the, the, in the very best way. You know, you're 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 sort of Hal Foster, Milton Kniff, um, kind of you know, very really um, simple but but potent and um, and you know, um, effective art. So I I really like uh, Amazing Fantasy so far. <laughs> it's just such a different Marvel take, um, and uh, and so I, I'm not sure how long the series runs, but 
I will be following issue to issue. Um, the next pick is something a little bit, um, again, off, off of my regular uh, beaten path. And um, it's just something that um, some of the preview art just really um, caught my eye. It's a book called Always Never um, from, from Europe Comics. Uh, if you don't know Europe Comics, they um, basically are a digital-only outlet in English-speaking markets for European comics that, um, and then obviously translated. Um, Always Never is by um, a European creator uh, named Jordi Lefebvre. Lefebvre. <laughs> I'm very bad at French pronunciations. <laughs> but um, the, you know, what, I didn't know anything about this creator. Don't actually know much about, you know, most things that come out from Europe comics. But there was a, a style and a quality to the art that, again, reminded me of just very great animation um, that is out there. Um, actually, there's some of the the art looks a little bit like, uh, oh shoot, what's the artist of Black Science? Um, you, it's going to come to me in a second, um, especially because I'm typing it into the Google machine. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the it's it's kind of like something between yes, Italian artist Matteo Scalera style, you know, with the super long pointy noses and stuff like that, and and almost kind of like a, a sketchy um, ink line, um, and really just high gloss and 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 really fine animation work. Um, the story too is super intriguing. So when you open the beginning of Always Never, it's actually chapter. It says tw- chapter twenty, and we encounter two uh, older, you know, near retirement age folks, to uh, two people who are, um, yeah, maybe apparently having an affair. It looks like one is a you know sort of um, jaunty uh intellectual bookshop owner and the other is uh is or recently was the the mayor of the town uh and is married and um and is a mother and is in you know her 60s and they uh clearly have history and as it turns out it starts at chapter 20 because each successive chapter goes back back 19 you know 18 17 and in fact, jumps back a number of years to a previous point in their life. And so you actually see kind of the end point of their love, their romance, their relationship, this obviously kind of like sparks filled um, passion between the two of them. And then you get to go, you keep going backwards in time to find out where this came from, why they aren't married to each other, you know. How did she end up becoming a mayor and, and he end up where he was and so on? And it's just such an interesting way to imagine a life um, and quite romantic. Um, I had fun with this book. Um, it's called Always Never Again by Jordi Lefebvre. And uh, it's originally published by Dargold in France. <laughs> I'm, I'm mocking myself, not French. <laughs> my, I'm mocking my inability to pronounce French words. Um, but um, republished and available digitally from Europe Comics. So check that out. Um, check out the art, and and you know you'll see you'll see what I'm talking about, um, and you'll like it. Um, speaking of great art that just looks amazing, but that tells a weighty story, um, I also have caught up with Eve, 
Um, issues one through four are out, and I think five wraps up the series. It's written by Victor Laval, um, who is, uh, wow, a creative and intellectual visionary. Um, and I really like Victor Laval's work. And um, with art by Joe Mi Jung, um, who I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with prior to this, but really impressed me with this book. Eve is about a um, young girl who sort of awakens and finds herself on earth um, have with her, her memories and her mind having been filled with this, this maybe artificially introduced history with her father, who turns out to have been a scientist. And she's left uh, on earth with this possibly helpful but possibly dangerous guide who has taken on the form of a familiar teddy bear but is not is no teddy bear it is in fact some kind of ai um who is i don't know possibly up to something terrible um but i think the stinger in this book is that um this is the post-climate apocalypse wasteland and you know um you know, the, the air is unbreathable, cities in ruins, and in fact, some kind of um, viral um, infection has really made kind of zombies of the, the humans who've, who've been left behind. And so, and Eve is, has been sent back or left on Earth or whatever as just the last ditch hope uh, for saving humanity in the midst of this, um, you know, this maybe very, very likely or possible scenario of where we're headed as as human beings um as our world heats up um i think this is not this this hasn't necessarily been my favorite of victor laval's where actually most of that i think has happened in prose but as comics that you know envision um you know this kind of situation scenario and story i i have actually right in front of me this two volume set of nausicaa um of miyazaki's nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, and I think Eve. I think of Eve a little bit as a Nausicaa for for our times. It's it's definitely grim, um, but there's of course the sparks of hope that are centered on on Eve herself, the main character. I am um, I'm really eager to to see this wrap up, uh, and 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 I wanna wanna grab a collection of this and have it on my shelf for kids as a you know as a conversation starter. That's also an exciting tale. So. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying and catching up with Eve. Um, I've also been enjoying Superman, Son of Kal-El, by, written by Tom Taylor, who I'm, I'm finding is, in spite of myself, becoming one of my favorite comics writers, um, with art by John Timms and colors by Gabe El Taib. Um, so the idea of Superman, Son of Kal-El is that rather than the Clark Kent Superman that we've all kind of, you know, uh, over familiar with um this this series is about jonathan kent and not just the kid superboy or whatever the, the son of 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 clark but he has grown up uh you know i think in recent in recent um action or i think in the bendis but bendis written super superman stuff going on jonathan kent went away for a while <laughs> and he's come back sort of grown you know and the the big premise that is launched in the first issue is he's inherited the Superman mantle. Um, Clark has to go away. You know, Kal-El has something to do and is really ready to hand off to to Jonathan. Um, but 
Jonathan kind of looks around and he says, you know, Superman essentially is going around saving people from disasters, but but essentially upholding the status quo, um, saving people's lives when they're in danger, but not saving us from the bigger problems that we have to deal with. And I just think that's a fascinating premise. I know it's been done before, and I know there's a reaction that people can have of like, I don't want that in my superhero comics, you know, like I don't want my superheroes to be trying to figure out, you know, economic inequality, you know, or, or, or solving climate change. You know, that's just not that interesting to me. I, I get that. Um, no, I don't really get it actually, because I, I think that the, the, the intrigue of what would, how can you apply your, your, you know, heat vision eyes or your um, super strength and flight abilities to something, um, you know, so intractable as, say, poverty or racial injustice or whatever, you know, that is way more fascinating to me than um, punching the villain of the, of the week. And so I, I, um, I'm interested where this is going. I have to say that I was a little disappointed that issue two, he seemed to be, I don't know, still not really tackling what I thought he would be. But I'm, uh, I have some trust in 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 the, these creators. Um, it looks, you know, amazing. It looks like it's just a great, well drawn comic, um, and very readable. Um, but again, one where I wish that the monthly would just please move faster, because I'd like to read the rest of it. Um, and finally, a bit of a throwback. Um, I have had in my possession for years um, the book Mouse Guard Fall. 1152. It first came out in 2008. Um, David Peterson uh, is, of course, the creator, owner of Mouse Guard. And if you've seen Mouse Guard in a comic book shelf or a library bookshelf or something like that, and you just uh, didn't know what it was, you know, it's it's interesting. Its format is a little unusual. It's sort of a square um, bound book. Um, but it's just so good. It's so good. So I had read Mouse Guard Fall 1152 before. Um, there's also Mouse Guard Winter 1152 and then a bunch of other Baldwin the Brave and stuff like that. Um, there's a bunch of Mouse Guard. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, a recent, I think, one-shot kind of uh, thing that came out. But um, it's always been there, and I, and I remember reading it and thinking, oh, this is pretty good, but I was probably a little tired or something like that. Anyway, I um, recently... David Peterson was, you know, is often on Twitch actually drawing and, 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 you know, doing, he kind of organizes a little bit of a con that he did virtually this past year and stuff like that. And I just always loved his art, but I didn't really get into Mouse Guard as a story too, too much. I I liked it when I read it, you know, um, thought, knew it was good, could see the quality. It won Eisner's and all this kind of stuff. And I just recently, um, picked up bought from his store you know the whole sort of run of mouse guard he was super nice he just signed and sketched in all of them and and wrote a note in one it was really nice but um my daughter and i began reading um fall 1152 and then winter 1152 and baldwin and all of the pieces and we're so into it it's so good um the characters are charming 
Uh, I had a little trouble telling the mice apart. My daughter, on the you know, though, immediately knew who Liam was and thought he was incredibly cute and <laughs> liked the the banter and the riffing between uh, Saxon and and what's the other one? Uh, but the, you know, the characters just really came to life, and and the bigger story, it's just told with such perfect comics economy. You know, the world is big, but we don't spend forever unpacking its details. The story is a wide canvas, but we hone in on, on just a, f a few characters and, and really just kind of point to the bigger world and the, and the bigger battle and so on. Um, it's just really well done. Um, so I think I have not appreciated Mouse Guard in, <laughs> enough in its time. And, uh, and you know, hey, anything David Peterson does... Um, you know, henceforth will have my support and, and my readership. So if you've never revisited Mouse Guard, uh, let me urge you now to uh, to find that out. Um, hey, check out David Peterson's store. I think that's a great place to get it. Um, yeah, so those are the things that have been on my reading list in these very exhausting two weeks when I've been uh, night to day... <laughs> working at, in, on my classroom and my teaching and all that kind of stuff, just squeezing in these little bits of reading. Um, we will keep it coming. We will keep the hits coming. Um, maybe I'll pause now just to say, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the comic syllabus will be every other week, but the podcast wants to be weekly, and I want to be talking about this range of, of stuff um, and doing a little bit of writing as well. And I've also caught the bug of what's happening over at Substack. Uh, I know there's quite a lot of controversy about it for various reasons, for the you know the, some of the um, the the opinions, perspectives that Substack has platformed, as well as for the implications for the you know I guess the industry um, of all these creators, you know James Tinian the fourth, for instance, or Tynan the fourth, being um, maybe the first and loudest uh, departure from big two or, 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 or indie comics and, and really producing uh, Substack oriented comics. And, um, you know, they just announced this deal they struck with the panels app, which is an app I have uh, for iPads, you know, to deliver the content directly there. And I'll be interested to see how they make those comics that, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've gotten used now to reading comics in my email inbox, but it's just such a weird thing. I'm like processing all these emails from my my bank or my doctor or from you know you know whatever this and that thing for work, and then there's like eight emails that are supposed to be comics. <laughs> it's very hard for me to sort out uh, mentally, um, but I think um, it's just uh, it's interesting for me to see such creators as, you know, Vida Ayala or Sophie Campbell or Chip Zdarsky or, you know, Hickman and, and Del Mundo and Hiddleston and company. Um, so I will be trying to, I, I have, I've bought in, I've plunked a fortune down to become an annual subscriber to all these different comic substacks, um, these creators' substacks. And, um, and as I uh, read their stuff as it comes out. I will continue kind of reporting on the work and also my experience as a Substack supporter, comics reader. Um, so I'll be doing that at my Substack. 
<laughs> comicsyllabus.substack.com. So check it out. And if you want to read and see what it's like, um, and then eventually you'll start to see there will be um, paid supporter only posts. Um, so do that as a way to get access to those posts. Do that as a way to be part of the commenting community. Um, or just do that as a way to support um, support the, this podcast. So, all right, one more break, and then we will announce our long read, Why the Last Man. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. I always picture Mike and Greg and um, a pile of just dissected previews catalogs sitting around their house. You know, they've been cut up. They've been, you know, uh, there's blood all over them. It's gruesome. (laughs) What those guys are really dissecting is my budget, um, <laughs> because uh, they they end up making me really excited about a lot of things. All right, speaking of excitement, <laughs> we um, I made a poll last week uh, or two weeks ago rather. Um, I put a link to it in the show notes of the comic syllabus. Uh, it was a Google form, and uh, I got zero respondents. <laughs> So I, I guess that that route to a survey is not fantastic. Um, I also put up a Twitter poll, and um, some of you or some people, I don't know, on, <laughs> random people on Twitter, or my brother, actually, for instance, um, did, did, did kind of chime in as far as which of these books would you like to, us to do as a long read. And... Uh, I won't name the people, the the ones that didn't get so many votes, but the two that did get the most were um, Why the Last Man and Bone. Um, I picked those two because they are there are upcoming series, and Why is coming up very soon. Um, in fact, on FX slash Hulu. So uh, I think that comes out September twelfth or thirteenth. Um, the TV series, so that should be really interesting. Um, they've been trying to adapt that for years. Why the Last Man is, of course, the Vertigo series written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by mostly Pia Guerra. Um, and it ran 60 issues, and it is uh, a, a nonstop, totally absorbing read. Um, I've actually had, I've actually met a few people who tried it and did like it, and I was shocked. I was sort of like, really? And I haven't gone back to it since I first read it. Maybe I read the first few um, trades a number, a couple of times. I remember because I think I, I started reading it while it, while it, while it was still in its run, and I had to reread to catch, you know, get my, get myself back on track with the story. But I did do one one of those readings, you know, when it was all completed and straight through from from first volume to last. Um, and really enjoyed it. I remember it being my, I think it was my first Brian K. Vaughn. You know, it was uh, before Ex, Ex Machina or, or any of the other uh, Brian K. Vaughn series. This is all certainly before Saga started coming out. And um, I thought it was really good. It was just 
a very absorbing story about Yorick um, waking up or whatever to find out that all of the men, um, all of the Y chromosomes <laughs> carriers uh, on the planet had died except for him. Um, and so he and his monkey <laughs> um, basically journey through a world where now there are all kinds of different responses for the remaining uh, women of the world. Um, and I just think it's such an artifact of that mid-aughts or early uh, aughts, um, in a way, anxieties about, about gender um, and anxieties about our you know, shifting consciousness about gender. Um, and as well as just a very interesting take on the, you know, the uh, uh, sort of some major, major apocalypse or cataclysm that, that, that utterly changes the world and, and, and how, you know, you survive that. Um, just an interesting twist on that and just compulsively readable as everything, as almost everything that Brian K. Vaughn writes is. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, when they started to collect the deluxe hardcover volumes, I was aboard and uh, have a treasured and cherished collection of Why the Last Man. But I haven't reread it in a super long time. So it's going to be really fun. So I put in the show notes, uh, and if you go to the Substack, you'll see a slightly different schedule because it'll come out on the Substack earlier and more frequently because that's the rewards of coming to this, to, you know, join the Comics Illibus Substack. Um, but I will be reading and podcasting about why the last man here on the comic syllabus. I'll look at uh, Deluxe Edition Volumes 1 and 2, which I think is roughly issue 1 to 21. I don't know, wherever that that arc end point is. Um, but the Deluxe Edition Volume 1 and 2, I will talk about next week. I mean, sorry, two weeks from now on the comic syllabus, um, September 19th. So if you want to read with me, um, please do join in. And, you know, if you know how to reach me, it's in the show notes um, on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, the socials. Um, let me know what your thoughts are about that part. If you are engaging in this reread with me, if you, like me, maybe are familiar with it, but just, wow, in 2021 and, and just really how far we've come on some of these questions are just interested in checking in. Or if you're just really into the show um, or curious about the show and you want to read alongside your viewing to uh, to see where it departs and where it, where it sort of stays true to the original run, um, check it out with us. So again, sorry, <laughs> next episode of Comic Syllabus in two weeks, September 19th, let's have read the first two volumes um, and then see if we can stop ourselves, restrain ourselves from continuing to go forward. Um, but then for October 3rd, we'll, we'll go at Volume 3 and 4 and talk about those. And then for October 17th, uh, Volumes 5 and 6, basically the last, you know, 20-ish issues of the run. Um, yeah, that's the that's the first long read. Now, I think the long read is, is here because I'm always looking for ways that I, we can engage deeper as the comics syllabus community. And, you know... Uh, if you're a regular listener, that's what I hunger for. You know, it's uh, it's really not about the sponsors because there, there really aren't any sponsors. <laughs> there are the so far two supporters on um, paid supporters on Substack who, if you know, you know who you are. I don't know if you want me to put you on on blast, but oh, I I love you. 
Thank you. You were a, a ray of hope when I was filled with despair about this. Um, but it, but all of y'all, you know, paid supporter or not, um, it's the engagement with you and the thinking with you that makes me um, love doing this podcast. So read with me. Let's let's do it. Let's let's talk. Why the last man? Let's think about um, in 2021 what it means. Uh, let's speculate about how they will change the show um, to be uh, to be I don't know to be current or to to be speaking to some of maybe what's what we're confronting now in this decade rather than the uh, the time when the the book first came out. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it. Um, so let's keep reading. I uh, encourage you to check out Shang-Chi if you haven't. Um, if you see the movie, don't spoil it for me. I am not going to see it for 43 more days. <laughs> I'll be holding my breath until then. Um, and then, uh, yeah, check out. Tell, tell me what you're reading. Uh, if you've caught any of the books I talked about in Polybagged. Uh, and uh, check out the Substack. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Let's keep reading. And I'll see you in the classroom or on the internet. All right. Bye.